0: Oh, very young, what will you leave us this time? You're only dancing on this earth for a short while. And though your
1: dreams may toss and turn you now, they will vanish away like your dad's best jeans, denim. Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I will be your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is not going to be a difficult one to talk about, because this is one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's one of these episodes I've been trying to schedule for weeks and weeks, and it's just, for some reason, it hasn't happened, like people had to back out, or things got complicated, and... I finally, finally get to talk about the 1996 comedy Kingpin starring Woody Harrelson and Bill Murray and uh, Randy Quaid. So, very excited about this one. We're going to dive right into it. This is, again, one of those uh, episodes like the Bad News Bears where we're talking about one of my all-time favorite comedies. So, get ready for the giggle zone in this one. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about this one. And my co-host today, let's see... uh, this guy, he and I go way back. We've been in fantasy baseball leagues for years. Um, he, uh, I used to run a thing on Facebook called the picture caption contest where you'd, I'd put a funny picture and, uh, people would try to come up with the best caption. And he ended up winning that like four or five times. He's one of my all time favorite captioneers that I know. Um, so excited to talk to him. Please welcome to the show Mr. Dennis Goodman.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, a captioneer, that was a, a great term. I think I'm going to start put that on my LinkedIn profile.
1: Excellent. Yes. Well, welcome to the show, brother Goodman. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I have to say,
0: like when you say talk about movies that need more love, and then you put Kingpin up on Facebook, it kind of surprised me at first because literally within or within my circle of friends, this is one of our all-time favorites. And I was going back and doing research, and I don't remember this being a box office flop. And I'm just shocked that people don't know this movie so we're gonna have fun talking about this
1: yeah it's um it's one of those i i agree with you in a sense it's not really underloved now but it really was in its context when it came out and yeah like you said this movie was a huge flop and I'm just giving people a little uh, background on it, if they don't know, that the Farrelly brothers are the guys who directed this movie, and they had three outstanding comedies right in, the, in a row, starting in the mid-90s, where they had Dumb and Dumber, and then they had this one, Kingpin, and then they had their Something About Mary, and widely considered three of the funniest movies of the 90s, but one of them, the middle one here, was the one that was the flop that didn't make any money, and uh, it just, it was not a hit like the other two, and it's kind of astounding, because I think Dennis and I would both agree on this, this is our favorite Farrelly Brothers movie, right?
0: But uh, Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I, I think Dumb and Dumber had kind of the Jim Carrey just owning the movie, and then... Of course, you had the famous scene with the, the snowball fight with uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, which just cracks me up. And then everyone loved There's Something About Mary, mainly because of the hair gel scene. And this one just seemed to kind of float under the radar. But to me, and even as I was going back and rewatching it, it's amazing even you know, 20-some years later how much I still quote this movie. And and I think it's the best of three, and we'll probably get into some of the reasons why we think it's that way. But yeah, definitely the best of the three in my opinion.
1: And it's funny, this is something I had originally brought up in one of my earlier episodes with Top Secret. Are you familiar with Top Secret?
0: Oh, very much so.
1: Okay, yeah, and it's very similar because the Zucker brothers had, they were the big comedy stars of the 80s, and they had their big three movies, just like the Farrelly brothers. They had Airplane and then Top Secret and uh, uh, The Naked Gun. And again, it's the exact same thing where it's that middle one that kind of got left behind where people kind of forgot about it. And it's like I've always thought Top Secret should be up there in the conversation with Airplane and the Naked Gun and it never got there. But and it's very similar here with the Farrelly brothers with Kingpin that I don't know what it is about the second movie where everyone just kind of ignores it and they only remember the first and the third. I just kind of think it's unfair like that.
0: Yeah, and to this day, I can't have a cold and think of myself as being a little horse without thinking of Top Secret. Um But, you know, the same thing kind of happened with Kevin Smith with Mallrats. I mean, I know that's kind of more of a niche thing, and Kevin Smith has his own thing. But, you know, Clerks was huge, Mallrats flopped, and then Chasing Amy. So maybe, you know, I guess, the sophomore slump can extend to movies as well.
1: Yeah, although you just kind of reminded me of something. I just have a new theory here where you mentioned uh, Jim Carrey, where I think maybe probably what happened is that Dumb and Dumber was not really seen as a Farrelly Brothers movie. It was seen as a Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. So I think, I think that yeah, that's probably what happened. So this is like their second movie. But to most people, unless you were in the know, you really understood who made Dumb and Dumber. You wouldn't really get that this was like just a very similar movie to that one. And so... Yeah, without Jim Carrey, without the big draw, this one didn't make as much money. Although it's kind of astounding when you look at that in retrospect, when this one had Bill Murray in uh, this might be blasphemy, arguably what I think may be the greatest Bill Murray role ever.
0: Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and like you said, the Jim Carrey, you know, he owned the first movie, but Dumb and Dumber is kind of a buddy road flick. And, you know, it's about a guy trying to get a, a suitcase back to somebody. And there, there's something about Mary You know, in the Me Too era, it's kind of a weird, creepy stalker movie, and if you actually get past some of the jokes in in Kingpin, which is hard because it's very joke-dense, I mean, there's actually a story, and there's a redemption arc, and there's a little bit of heart to it. It's it's actually a, a, a good movie.
1: Yeah, it's funny those Farrelly Brothers movies, especially the early ones, how they all kind of follow the same template. And that's that might seem like an, I'm saying they're lazy, but it's not. It's just a, it was such a winning template where it's just there is gross out humor in there, but there's legitimately really funny gags as well. But there's always a heart underneath it, and that was the one thing that Dumb and Dumber they kind of strayed in that direction. They started with I mean they they went down that road of of Lloyd and uh, Harry having the heart, and but it wasn't really as as prominent a part of the movie as maybe Kingpin, where I think it really works well in Kingpin. In fact, there's one scene in this movie when uh, Roy and Claudia go back to Ocelot that I think is such a fantastic underrated scene that really gives this movie the heart that maybe the other two didn't have.
0: Yeah, I agree. And plus it has one of my other favorite quotes in it when um, she looks at him and says, what do you think about new beginnings? And he stops and says, what is that, the new feminine hygiene spray? (laughs) Which is (laughs) just a a funny line, but uh, you know there is that little beat there where... You know, he stops and asks her, say, Hey, how do I look? You know, he's getting ready to go back to his hometown, and she kind of smooths his, smooths his hair out and says, Hey, you, you look real sharp, which is kind of a, um, you know, I'm sure we won't be sentimental the entire episode, but it is kind of a, a good movie that, like you said, underpins
1: the heart of it. Yeah. Okay. um. What is your history with this movie? Because I have a long, prominent history with this movie that I want to talk about. But I'm interested in you. You are about my age, plus or, plus or minus a couple of years. Like, How old were you and when this movie came out? Did you see it in the theater? What was your thought process, or how were you introduced to it?
0: So, 96 was my freshman year of college. Um, I don't think I saw it in the theater I think it was just one of those that kind of came out on VHS and DVD. And, and like, say for some reason, you know, me and my buddies, just, um just a movie that stuck with us. And we had a lot of nights nice just kind of sitting up watching it and it just became something we, we quoted a bunch and then we'd, we'd constantly go back to it through the quotes. And, you know, even to this day, we'll, we'll see each other and be like, you know, Hey, how's, how's life and, you know, taken forever <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I have a, a buddy who works for, um, Uh, philip morris or whatever their parent company is now and you know every time we see him we're like who knows more about smoking than the fine people of the american tobacco institute and they say it's good for you and and just you know through all of that you know just became a movie that we just watched a ton and then something about mary came out and obviously that took off and whenever you have that you know popular movie you kind of go back and and catch the other ones um and now, to me, it's just sort of one of those – we have it on DVD, but it's just one of those things where if I just ever see it on, if I'm flipping around the cable box at night, I'll always just kind of stop and, and watch it.
1: Okay, here's my my backstory on this one. my, my goes long and deep here because I – I grew up in bowling alleys and I'm not ashamed to admit that. I, I know what it's like to spend like every evening in a bowling alley because my dad and my mom were in bowling leagues and my dad had like a 210, 220 average. He was like, like, a, he could have been a near pro bowler. He was really good. So.
0: Was that for 10 or 15 frames?
1: That was the 10 frames. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. He was, my dad was not Amish, although I do have a good Amish story later in this podcast. But yeah, so my dad would go to his bowling leagues and he'd take me and my brother and they'd just drop us off and we'd go play in the arcade. And so that was like, that's like 70% of my childhood, just sitting around in bowling alleys waiting for my dad to finish and just watching and then being in bowling leagues on my own. So I know, I know this world very well. It's a, one would say maybe a white trashy world, but maybe not so much. I don't know. But it's a... It's not really a, a uh, lifestyle that you see as much today maybe in the 21st century but like bowling leagues were a big deal back in the 80s so many people were in them and this was my childhood so when I saw that there was a bowling comedy coming out I thought oh this is going to be fun because they really hadn't been I mean this is is this pre Big Lebowski or post it's right around the same time right
0: I think it's a couple years before
1: okay so this is maybe the first big bowling comedy and again I I love Dumb and Dumber Dumb and Dumber came out in 94 and uh, this is a trivia fact that maybe does not speak well of me, but I like saying that that Dumb and Dumber is the movie that I've seen the most times in the theater. I I saw it seven times in the theater. There you go. (laughs) So so this was the follow-up to Dumb and Dumber, and it came out in 96, and that was the year that I graduated college. That was your freshman year, and it was my senior year. So, again, it was 96. I talked about it in my rock podcast. That was the year of all these movies that I was just going to the theater all the time. And Kingpin came out, and I was not all that enthused when I first saw the commercials for it, I'm like, that seems kind of lame. Like the commercials was just like Woody Harrelson getting hit in the nards, but by, by the bowling ball and stuff <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, well we're doing dumb and dumber again, but it's in a bowling alley. I don't think it's going to work. And this is, I'm not sure if you know this, but why this movie kind of got a boost, which, which critics were very fond of it at the time.
0: Uh, I wouldn't have known it, but I just read an oral history and, uh, the Farrelly brothers said that what sued them after a sucky opening weekend was, uh, Siskel and Ebert's review of
1: it. Yeah. Like Siskel and Ebert have basically said this was like their favorite comedy of like the nineties or something. They just were absolutely so congratulatory and amazed at how funny it was. And that's what eventually won me over. I'm like, well, if, if a critic likes this comedy and thinks this is like the funniest thing ever, maybe I should give it a chance. And this, this, ha- how, uh, the time, my timeline kind of all coalesces into one moment here. In 1996, I happened to be driving across the country with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And we're going across country from, uh, California out to visit my brother in New Hampshire. He went to college. And there was a chance, and I was excited that I was going to get a chance to see Kingpin in Amish country in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Yeah. See, my bucket list is perhaps a little different than other people's, but that was like <laughs> in my bucket list that I'm going to freaking get to see Kingpin in Beaver County, Pennsylvania or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, it didn't happen. My brother and I talked about it. We were in New Hampshire. And we talked about it, I'm going to go see Kingpin. It's going to be awesome. And for some reason, I'm going through Pennsylvania on the way home and it's not playing in any of the theaters. Which, I guess, the Amish, uh, you know, bring new new releases into their theater half again faster than the English do. Or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I never got to see Kingpin in Amish Country, and it haunts me to this day. But I did see it eventually that summer, and I just loved it. And I liked every minute of this movie. I loved. Now, like, I gotta go out and tell people about this movie. That's so funny. And so that's my history: the <laughs> the Amish slash bowling history of Mario Lanza. That I, I I am very excited. I got to share finally.
0: Well, maybe uh, the next time you drive cross-country, you can find a, a special, you know, Amish screening in Amish country. Maybe you'll get Witness and Kingpin as a double feature.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have always wondered about that. I mean, Amish—do they ever see movies? Period. Like, they have to—they have to be aware that there's things called movies, right? I would hope so. Perhaps you're not the expert on this subject. I'm not sure. Maybe,
0: um, you know, maybe they call them talkies like they did in the 1920s. They don't call them movies yet, but they have a variation.
1: <laughs> okay, let me tell my quick Amish story. This one, I've been saving this up just for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have two Amish stories. That's the great thing. So we were in Amish country about uh, seven years ago with my kids, my wife and my kids, and we went on a horse and buggy ride. Have you ever been to Amish country?
0: Uh, I haven't. There are some Amish communities in, in Indiana, but um, even though I grew up in farm country, I am the, the least handy, least farmish person you'll meet. I, I like to say I have the hands of a statistician, so <laughs> n- no Amish.
1: Okay. Yeah, so we're in, and they once you get out to Amish country, they have all these tourist activities that you can go on, and the big one is the horse and buggy ride where you get to go with an actual Amish dude, and he takes you around and takes you to the farms and stuff. And it's very exciting. And this is my, one of my all-time favorite stories, that we were talking to this dude, this actual Amish dude, and we're going on this little horse and buggy ride, and we're talking about foods. And I'm like, what kind of foods do they have out here? And he's explaining, like, apple butter and church peanut butter and all sorts of stuff. And I was talking about the foods back home in California, and I said, well, we have this great Mexican food. And this guy's eyes lit up, the, the Amish guy, because he had had Mexican food. He'd had it once in his life. So he told us, he said, my wife and I went on a trip to Mexico a couple years ago. We were we flew down there, which I don't know. I didn't know they could fly, but he flew. And he said, and we had this food in Mexico. And he's like, oh, brother, it was the most amazing thing. He goes, I've been searching for it ever since. What, what food, Dennis, do you think he's talking about?
0: <laughs> um, given the nature of the story, it would be a really funny punchline if it's something... Yeah, you know, just completely mundane, like a quesadilla you
1: know, rubbery. We're going to beat that. He was trying to pronounce it. He was like, a taco? A taco? He's like, it was the most amazing thing, this taco. And he was trying to search for a taco. He couldn't find one in Pennsylvania. So <laughs> that's my Amish story right there.
0: If he, um, you know, got the dessert version. Is that the Chaco taco? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, we didn't get that's. You have to take the advanced uh, horse and buggy tour to get to the desserts, the Chaco taco. Yeah. Hey, What's uh? What's church peanut butter? Church peanut butter, I believe, is peanut butter mixed with like marshmallow cream. It's an Amish thing. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, there you go. I learned something today. There you go. For all our Amish listeners, I know they're all, they're chomping at the bit now, saying, "I could have answered that question. Why didn't I get to come on to the Kingpin Podcast?" So <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> those Quakers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, those ten frame bowling Quakers. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Let's delve into Kingpin here. Let's see. I'm going through my notes here. Anything else Anything else you want to talk about before we go into the plot here?
0: No, I think as you go through the plot, we'll we'll go through I, I think one of the – you know, we've talked a lot about the Fairley brothers already in their um, their movies. But, you know, I think as we go through this, we can talk about, I think, some of the things they really have in all their movies. You know, the athletes in the movies. Yes. They have a lot of the character actors who play different parts. And then um, – you know just soundtracks and and really I rewatched this actually yesterday and I think there are 6 montages mm-hmm. and a couple more you know, scenes that are just heavily lean on the music. And I kind of remember that the same in Something About Mary as well.
1: Yeah, no, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up, because I I have that in my notes as well, that that's the Farrelly Brothers' big claim to fame, in my opinion. They they use music so well in their movies, Mm -hmm. and it's always like an older, oldies song or a classic rock song, and they love to use stuff, ironically, where the music is like completely the opposite of what's happening in the scene. They love yeah. to do stuff like that. They're, that's the one thing that I would really like to get across to people before they, uh, if they r- don't appreciate this. Yeah, but the soundtrack in these Farrelly Brothers movies, they are so good at picking the right music for the scene.
0: And, and they're kind of hit makers a little bit, too, because if you remember, you know, the end credits of There's Something About Mary, they just kind of had the uh, everyone dancing to build me a buttercup, and mm-hmm. I think that brought that song back to be a hit again.
1: Yeah. And in this one, we get Blues Traveler for some reason out in the Amish countryside. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but I think John Popper from Blues Traveler makes two appearances in this movie. He did, I believe he sings – don't no, he doesn't sing the National Anthem. He's the MC of the bowling event. Exactly. Because when I think Amish bowling comedy, I think John Popper.
0: <laughs> it was the skinny version of John Popper,
1: though. Oh, that was the skinny one? I think so. He's been eating too many tacos. <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right, so here we go. So it'll be uh, Brother Goodman and I will be walking through the plot here of the movie Kingpin, which, again, one of my favorite comedies, one of, I think, the funniest movies ever made. And I will flat out say it. I think this movie has two of the greatest supporting characters in any comedy ever. And we're going to talk about, obviously, Bill Murray. We'll probably spend at least 30 minutes on Bill Murray at some point. But then Lynn Shay as the gross old landlady.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And <laughs> it's just amazing. I mean, I don't even know where it is. I guess uh, I was reading a story, like when she showed up to audition for that part, they thought it was legitimately a homeless person. <laughs> and then they wound up giving her the part. And then just the way that, you know, she kind of, the way she delivers her lines and goes between being sort of the, you know, the meek woman when she's getting robbed to being kind of the hard ass to wanting her her money, and then obviously the, the gross-out scene where, you know, you see her, the homage to the graduate, when she has her leg up with all the varicose veins, and, and Woody Harrelson doing some very realistic vomiting in that scene. Yeah.
1: yeah, again, for people who haven't seen it, there's one character in this movie, she's this gross old landlady, and through a series of unfortunate events, Woody Harrelson must have sex with her to pay his rent. And she's the nastiest character in a movie ever. And she steals every scene she's in. And I just remember laughing so hard at those scenes the first time I saw them. And then that's the funny thing is that that's Lynn Shay. Like she's not even like a full-time actress, right?
0: No, I don't think so. She was in dumb and dumber. And apparently she knew some big wig at the studio said, Hey, give this person a shot to be in the movie. And, got in the first movie then she found her way in the second movie
1: yeah i mean it's not even that she knew somebody she is the sister i think the guy's robert shea the guy that runs new line cinema and he just told them the dumb and dumber guys could you put my sister in a movie she likes to act so they put her in <laughs> in dumb and dumber as mrs Nugaborn, and then she showed up in this one and she absolutely steals the show as the landlady and then she shows up again in something about mary as magda who's just about as nasty as this one <laughs> so she's made quite a career playing nasty middle-aged women
0: Yeah, and when you talk about sealing the scene or sealing scenes, you might have sold in the movie with – if people have just seen this once, I think the line that sticks with them the most is, um, I don't know what it is about good sex that makes me have to crap. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Roy, you really shook something loose. Like, I hear that a lot.
1: I – again, I'm a comedy writer at heart, and that right there – when they're writing this movie, they know that's the line that the audience is going to remember. What is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? You literally jarred something loose, Tiger. <laughs> and have you seen the uh, director's cut? There's an extra line in there in the director's cut version. Is that the one where she goes, pump, dump, pump, dump, or pump, dump? She says, uh, too much pumping and dumping. She goes, pump and dump.
0: <laughs> well, I tell you... Ya- and we're kind of skipping around. I'll let you get to the story back in a minute. But even the scene where she gets robbed, mm-hmm. like the way she acts at just kills me because the guy is – so Woody Harrelson sets up a fake robbery to try to avoid paying rent. And the guy who's stealing the bag from her says, give me the bag. And she goes, no. He goes, give me the bag. She goes, no. And finally he goes, come on, lady, give me the bag. And she goes, uh, okay. And just gives it to him. <laughs> And the way she just says, uh, okay, on the third time, after resisting the first two, just kills me, because it's just the way she plays
1: it. Yeah, just, again, Lynn Shea, one of these people who wasn't even a full-time actress, they just threw her into their movies as a favor to their buddy, and she ended up stealing all their movies. Uh, Okay, let's let's not beat around the bush too far. We've already spent 20 minutes just dicking around here. (laughs) Okay, so, Kingpin is the story of a... A uh, young man in a city called Ocelot, or a town called Ocelot, Iowa. His name is Roy Munson. And he is just a. We open the movie, it's this little Americana scene, and they have Cat Stevens playing Oh Very Young. It's a really nice scene of this little boy and his dad. The dad owns a gas station, his name is uh, something Munson. And his little boy Roy is there. And it starts with Roy and his dad talking about, it. he's like, hey, dad, hey, you want to have a game of uh, ball or something like that? And dad's like, okay, sure, go get your ball. And you think it's going to be baseball, but it's not. They have like a little makeshift bowling alley they've set up on the side. And so so ostensibly, Roy just goes and plays bowling with his dad every day. And it's like this really heartfelt moment. Nice little, like the start of any good sports movie, The Dad and the Son.
0: Very much so. And then they've got a few things that are, you know, really on the nose for what you'll see later. Um, you know, he bowls the ball and says, oh, you put that in a bottle. It's sweeter than yu,hu," which comes up again. And... Then I'll say, if you apply everything I've ever taught you to your real life, you'll be a great person. But, you know, right there, that's just setting them up for for failure. Um, And then the line that comes back the most is, uh, son, one day people are going to use the name Munson in bowling as they think about DiMaggio in baseball, which uh, turns out to be a very false fact later in the movie.
1: (laughs) You know, one day when people say the name Munson, they're going to think winner. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's where the movie's gonna go here that roy munson will be the biggest loser in the history of sports ever to the point that eventually people will start throwing around his name i don't want to get munson like it means that they fucked <laughs> up their lives and they threw away everything so there's a line here the dad has right at the start and it's not even the funniest line i just love the way the farrelly brothers write dialogue where uh, the dad says to the son i got I had it written exactly here he's like you got a great gift it's as if angels came down from heaven and put a blessing on your three bowling digits. <laughs> it's such a stilted way to say that.
0: Which uh, again when we get to Amish Country, you'll get kind of a continuation of that joke when he talks to Ish and says, you know, God bless you too, but it's round, has holes or has three holes and you put your fingers in it. He's like, You keep miss Rebecca Adams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Okay, so Roy Munson is this perfect little specimen of a Midwest child. He's just a, again, little Americana setting, and the dad is so proud of him, and and Roy grows up, and he becomes a big bowling champion, and we get this great intro shot at the start of the movie where the opening credits are rolling, where he walks into like a bowling alley, and they're playing Disco Inferno, and he's such a big celebrity now, because he's like the amateur champion of the state of Iowa. He's a big bowling legend, and it's all, you know, it's Woody Harrelson. He's got these bell bottoms on, playing in the 70s and stuff and the as he's walking into the bowling alley he just walks by and grabs somebody's pizza off their plate and because yeah. he's such a big star he's allowed to do that <laughs> and they just cheer him and then he he's bowling and putting on a show and you see his dad in the background being all proud like this is my son my son roy munson is a winner
0: <laughs> and then they've got the uh, the send-off scene after he you know comes home being state champion where he gets you know they show him going professional and his You know, very touching moment where the dad gives him the watch and, you know, says, hey, uh, I can't get this to work. Uh, It's a gold pocket watch. Can't get this to work. But if you ever need to to pawn it for some bucks, you can have it and sends him on his way, Um, which kind of surprised me when I watched it again this week. Um, So what was Munson's dad's job? Do you remember? He owned a service station, right? So a guy who owns a service station can't get a pocket watch
1: to work, especially (laughs) when we figure out what has to happen for it to work. Well, the Munsons aren't known for being winners, Dennis.
0: <laughs> I was just watching that the other day and I'm like, the guy was working on cars. He can't he can't wind a watch? What's going on here?
1: I never thought about that, but yeah. <laughs> the otherwise perfect father, the angelic Mr. Munson, was too stupid to figure out how to wind a watch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so Roy Munson is the state champion of Iowa, and they even have a sign in Ocelot saying, home of Roy Munson, amateur bowling champion, and you'd think this is going to be this you know, heroic trajectory of this noble figure, which is hilarious if you know the, where this movie is going to go.
0: And he, uh, for, for winning the state championship, he wins a, a solid gold ring, which is uh, also the source of many jokes for the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh... I'm going to say it now because I may forget, but one of the great running gags in this movie, and I'll, I'll spoil it for people, but Woody ends up with a rubber hand. He's got a rubber hand, and he's got his state champion bowling ring on it. And every time he shows the ring to somebody, and he says, what do you think of this? They always comment on the hand. Mm-hmm. And whenever he shows someone the hand and asks to comment on that, they always comment on the ring. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite little running gags in a 90s comedy, that they always will will misinterpret what he's asking.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: Okay, so Roy leaves Ocelotti. He has this big old uh, send-off from uh, that PJ's soft serve is like the local hangout, and all his friends wish him well. And, again, this will be like the natural, like Roy Hobbs. He's going out into the big world. He's representing the Midwest. And the first scene we see is where it's his first uh, professional bowling matchup, and we see him in a showdown with who will later be his arch rival, Bill Murray, as Big Earn Ernie McCracken.
0: Got to love Big Earn. I, uh, I was in a charity bowling event, and we had to name our team, and so I called us Big Earn's All-Stars. Mm-hmm. And all of the all the folks, uh, I manage a team of analysts who are all at least 10, 15 years younger than me, they're all like, Big Earn, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and my heart broke a little bit that day, I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, that's terrible. Even to this day, I still, But like I said, I grew up in bowling alleys. I still go bowling all the time. And when you, you know, you put your name in on the screen there, and it pops up on the overhead display who's bowling, I'm always either Roy Munson or Big Earn, or Ernie McCracken. And again, it breaks my heart because I don't see anybody else do that. So again, just my bucket list may be different than other people's bucket list. We'll just say that.
0: But I think, uh, I mean, we we get kind of the first sense of Bill Murray in his first scene. He's like doing the thing where he's acting like you first think that he's a TV announcer. Mm-hmm. Because he's you know setting up his shot, Roy has a shot to beat him in this tournament, and he's like, you know, take it from me. Right now, your what bladder feels like a overfilled vacuum bag, or I forget the exact quote, but he's he's talking and you he's in that voice, so you think he's an announcer, and then all of a sudden, Roy turns around and looks, hey, I wasn't talking when you were bowling. <laughs> yeah, it's just a great setup to the character.
1: Yeah, the, the exact line that I have written down here where Bill Murray is commenting on Roy as he's about to bowl. And again, anybody who bowls know this is a faux pas. You don't talk when somebody else is going through their backswing. And Bill Murray will just repeatedly just talk all through Woody's bowling. And the line is, uh, about this time you realize your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. And Woody's like, excuse me, I wasn't talking when you were bowling. And so Bill's like, oh, I'm sorry, was I saying that out loud? Sorry. And then there's a great dick move where Woody's just about to bowl, and then Bill Murray says, good luck, like right at the last... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we have to talk about this, the legend of Bill Murray. I talked about this in my Meatballs podcast, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but I'm not sure my listeners will be aware of this, that Bill Murray does not do movie scripts. I'm not sure if people are aware of why he is such a legend, because... They'll give Bill Murray a script, and he just looks at it, and he'll, like, be like, nah. And he just makes up dialogue. Every, like, almost every line he does in a movie, especially in his later years, is just him improvising. And that's the thing in Kingpin. Every single line he does here is this asshole villain, Ernie McCracken. He's just making up on the spot. And the Farrelly brothers would say anything he does is funnier than the script. So, like, we didn't mind at all because it was just amazing watching him work. So... Again, why I keep repeating this every time we do do a Bill Murray movie. That's the legend of Bill Murray that he absolutely steals every single scene he's in in this movie. And every single line he gives is uh, is uh, improvised.
0: And it's funny because in some of the scenes, I think you can really tell he's improvising. Like there's a scene in the diner where Woody Harrel- he asked Woody Harrelson to leave. yeah. And there's this table of people who obviously are extras. And so he looks at him and, you know, Big Ern's obviously a, a womanizer, um, if you've seen the movie. And <laughs> he looks at this table of women and he goes like, hey. And like this older woman um, is sitting next to a, a younger daughter or not, maybe another extra. And she goes, hey. And she her face like lights up like, holy cow, Bill Murray's talking to me. And then he stops and he goes, not you. You, hey, how you doing? Talk to, talks to the daughter. It's just such a perfect, big earned moment. But you can tell that those those women weren't ready for him to talk to them at all.
1: Yeah, it's amazing because you can tell they're not even in focus in the shot. They're just kind of off yeah. to the side. And Bill Murray's just flirting and being a dick to the extras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so that's the scene so that that is going to be the big uh story of this movie that roy munson this little farm boy and this streetwise hustler asshole ernie mccracken and the their first matchup uh roy munson wins in the tournament he knocks off big earn the bowling legend and big earn gets mad about it because you don't beat him he's too good and he ends up putting sugar in uh roy munson's gas tank and so woody, woody breaks down roy munson breaks down trying to drive to the next tournament and somehow they end up at this diner together because woody's car has broken down. Yep. And this is the scene that you were talking about. One of my top 10 favorite scenes in this movie where it's just them sitting at a coffee shop diner talking about their lives. Right. <laughs> because, yeah, because it's Bill Murray is completely improvising this. Where he's talking about, uh, we need, you know, we should work together and we can go around from town to town and get some supplemental income. And it's funny watching Woody Harrelson just react to Bill Murray. He just repeats whatever Bill Murray says, but, like, with his mouth full of food. He's like, supplemental income? He's, like, dripping the food out. So Bill Murray's like, yeah, supplemental income. You interested? And, yeah, Woody's like, interested? (laughs) Bill's like, money, would you like some extra income? And Woody's like, extra income? Then he finally just
0: says, okay, you, eat the rest of that outside.
1: I don't know how they got through that scene and not laugh, because I, I, that whole scene just smacks of it's being improvised. And Woody, again, Woody, I've I've long said, is one of my most underrated comic actors out there, but it's funny watching him just go toe-to-toe with Bill Murray in this and hold his own. It's amazing.
0: It really is. Um, I don't know, the whole scene just cracks me up. I mean, I can't really add much to, to what you said on I guess to give more context on the scene for people who haven't seen it, you know, this is basically you know as you said the natural's gone off he's trying to make his way he's already running into problems and now he's trying to you know he's struggling and trying to figure out how he's going to stay on the tour and it's it's really one of those scenes where you know bill murray's trying to bring him to the dark side a little bit but he can't actually you know tell him that he needs to cheat or get extra money or whatever so he's just trying to lead him there but woody harrelson isn't really paying attention and kind of figuring out what he's trying to do so to watch him go through those machinations is pretty funny
1: so if this were the natural does that mean that bill murray is memo paris <laughs> it's
0: been a while since i've seen the natural so is that the one that shoots him
1: yeah that's kim basinger the one that tempts roy hobbs right off the bat and ruins his innocence
0: <laughs> there you go winds up shooting
1: yes this the first time that bill murray has ever been compared to kim basinger <laughs> yeah so they end up teaming up because this street street wise uh uh big urn and he basically convinces woody that we have to go around and we have to go around and hustle people to make some extra income that's what bowlers need to do to live and their very first hustle could not go more wrong <laughs> yeah.
0: well, well there's the even before they get to the hustle there's the great scene in the stairs leading up there oh, yeah. where woody's like hey i uh not sure if we should do this and you know, big urns like it takes guts, kid, to, uh, you know, call home and say that you can't make it. Let's let's get out of here so you can make that call before your parents get to bed. And then Woody's like, all right, I'll do it. I just love Bill Murray. He's under his breath like, nice flip-flop as he walks back up the stairs.
1: It's funny how many times I've used that quote myself over the years, and I didn't even realize that I say it so many times where my kids want to do something, they change their mind, and I'll just, in the manner of Bill Murray, say, yeah, nice flip-flop. Yeah. <laughs> So, and again this whole scene feels like it's improvised just Bill Murray. Oh wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to hustle. Let's go. Let's go call your mommy and daddy. You better catch them before they go to bed. <laughs> so they uh they go up there and they have this scam where where uh, Bill Murray and Woody Harrelson are like dictionary salesmen and they're trying to they're pretending they're drunk and they bet play games for money and they basically try to hustle whoever's in the alley at the time and they end up in this match with this priest. He's like a priest and a bunch of thugs and and Woody ends up, you know, Woody pretends he's drunk. He pretends he doesn't know how to bowl. And he gets uh, this, uh, what's the split? Like a 6-7-10 split in the last frame. And he says, you yeah. know, if I pick that up, then I win double or nothing. I win all your money. And he basically cons them. And he hits the shot because he's he's Roy Munson, bowling legend. And the bad guys are like, uh, how did he do that? Like, or no, the, what's the line? The guy says, come on, boy, roll. And Roy's like, name's not boy. It's Roy. <laughs> Roy Munson. Yeah. This is the last time in the movie that name will be used for good, by the way.
0: Yeah. And can we talk about how great the priest is? Because the priest comes up. He's sitting there getting ready to bowl. And a woman comes up with a drink. And, you know, he's like, ah, I gambled on bowling's my only vice. As he takes the drink and then smacks the waitress on the ass as she walks away. He looks at Bill Murray. He's like, okay, two. And Murray's like, that's still very good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's 100% an ad lib from Bill Murray right there. <laughs> no, two vices. That's still very good and then murray's got another line in the scene earlier that i know is ad libbed i know the fairly brothers have talked about this as their favorite bill murray ad lib in the movie where he's trying to convince roy munson not to bet his dictionary money and he's like uh what's he say why would you want to do this you're on a gravy train with biscuit wheels <laughs> and the fairly brothers are like where did he come up with that where, where did he get that line
0: that's so awesome and then also uh this movie has a lot of wraparound jokes and, you know, so that the split comes up and he says he can pick it up and they go, uh, double or nothing. And Bill Murray's like, well, not for double or nothing. We're going to put all this money down there. He's like, you're going to hit the six, seven, ten the minute I start losing my hair. Cause when you see bigger like, in the beginning of the movie, he's got this great Afro. And then when you, you know, when time skips ahead and you see him the next time, he's got a very obvious, uh, uh, Jean Katie comb over, which people who aren't from Indiana won't get that. <laughs>
1: Uh, I have a lot of Indiana listeners, so that one should go over well. There
0: you go. Uh, he was the Purdue basketball coach. He had a hideous head over or comb over, but I just love that line. He's like I'll lose my hair if you make that. Right
1: yeah. So Woody and, and uh, Bill Murray hustle these thugs in, in Pennsylvania at some no-name bowling alley, and they get caught. The other guys they come out of the parking lot afterwards, and they smash the car. The bad the 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 locals are like, "How dare you con us? I knew Roy Munson. You said that name. I recognized it. You're a bowling champion." So. They've been caught hustling, and this is where uh, all the conflict in the movie is going to happen, where Bill Murray tells Woody, he's like, well, you know, sometimes you get caught hustling, and you a bowler has to go out and face the music. So Woody Roy Munson comes out of the car to go face the bad guys, and, and Ernie's like, and that bowl, bowler that's going to face the music is you, and he drives <laughs> off and leaves poor Roy Munson and... To say this doesn't end well is an understatement, is that basically the uh, thugs will take Roy Munson, insert his hand into the ball return and chop it off basically like a uh, like a wood chipper. And that that is the end of Roy Munson's right hand and his bowling career. He is now a one handed has been.
0: And by the way, the the guy who cranks on the machine to turn up the high power, he has this look of near sexual glee at the injury (laughs) that's going to happen to Roy Munson. It's the only one that's close is the the guy in the Princess Bride who almost gets off when um, Wesley is on the torture machine. <laughs> but the look on his face as he flips that machine, knowing that they're going to take his hand off, it, it's just creepy. It like gives me
1: nightmares. And that's one of the Farrelly Brothers regulars. That actor, if I recall, he's in all of their movies. I think he's
0: the he's in a wheelchair and he's the one and there's something about Mary that basically watches Ben Stiller move these huge pieces of furniture and is yelling at him to go faster
1: yeah and I think he's in Dumb and Dumber he's one of the guys outside Lloyd and Harry's apartment they have a couple <laughs> guys that just hang out there. I think so it's, yeah that's the one of the things Dennis mentioned earlier in this podcast that the Farrelly brothers use the same actors in all their movies they have all these stable of all their friends and stuff that they rotate through the movies so yeah the so Roy Munson gets his hand chopped off and we have one of the greatest Farrelly brothers scenes here where Woody's getting his hand shredded in the ball return, and we immediately cut to a wood chipper.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that pre-Fargo?
1: Um, this was 96, so it was two years after Fargo.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So the wood chipper trope had been established by now. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so, so now we flash forward. Now it's 17 years later in the future, and all of Woody, or all of Roy Munson's uh, future has been dashed. He's now a has-been. He's lost his hand, and we get this wonderful montage. Like you said, there's six montages in this movie. This is the first one of what Roy Munson's life is like now, and uh, again, the music is what really makes this scene as they play It's a Beautiful Morning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you explain to people what Woody's reality is now, what Roy Munson's reality is now?
0: Well, the, the scene after the wood chipper, the music plays and you hear an alarm and the alarm goes off two or three times. And then it's uh, turned off by a hook going through it. <laughs> um, and then you see Woody's right hand has been replaced by a hook and shows him getting up and, and leaving to uh, go to a bowling alley where I think he manages to rip out the sleeve of his coat with the hook. He breaks the rearview mirror um, as he leaves the apartment, he goes through uh, or goes past two guys that are just sitting there who are two of the great lackeys in, in movie history. Uh, some of my favorite lines, he, um, one of the guys, he asks the guy, how's it going or how's life? And he goes, taken forever. <laughs> and he's breathing oxygen. And then I, I think one of the other guys looks at him and goes, hey, Roy, can you get sick, drink, and piss? <laughs> Roy goes, uh, I think so. He's like, even if it's your own? <laughs>
1: Too bad I don't have a doctor on the show that can back that one up. I'm not sure what the research is on drinking your own piss.
0: So they basically show him getting in the car and he's driving off to a bowling alley to see that this once great champion is now reduced to being a bowling alley uh, supply salesman. Yeah. Going around trying to sell things like novelty condoms and lane oil to um, small bowling alleys who are basically just as annoyed that he's there that he's annoyed that he has to be there.
1: Yeah, this is Roy Munson's reality. He's a one-handed, fat, bald guy that sells condoms for novelty machines in the men's room. Yeah, and
0: he's um, he's doing a lot of drinking. You see a lot of empty bottles around his apartment. The first thing he does after he breaks his alarm clock with the hook is uh, takes a big swig of Jim Beam, I believe. <laughs> um, which always, <laughs> I'm like, it's 17 years later. You're still breaking stuff with a hook? I mean, <laughs> the learning curve on those things must be pretty bad.
1: Yeah, well, again, keep in mind who his father was and his father's mechanical reasoning skills. <laughs> Maybe Woody in 17 years has still not figured out the hook.
0: Right. And he gets into this car, which is about three different tones with different parts and doesn't work. And it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's
1: just he's on his luck a it. Yeah. So Woody is wandering around basically just uh, selling uh, novelty items to bowling alleys around Pennsylvania and one day he's in this alley and he just happens to hear out of the corner of his like corner of his hearing behind him somebody bowls an amazing ball and it hits the pins with all this force and he kind of turns around because he's like he used to be a bowling legend he knows that sound and this is where we meet one of the other major, major characters in this movie Ishmael who is a uh, in only the Farrelly Brothers universe where we have an Amish bowling prodigy. Yeah, Woody walks up to him and has a line here, which is a wonderfully dirty line if you take it out of context, which I've always loved. He says, You stroke a hell of a ball, but I bet when you're off, you leave a lot of buckets.
0: (laughs) And by the way, I just love that whole thing, and this isn't even a comedy thing, but I know you and I are big baseball guys, and. The little nuance of him just hearing it the first time, because you hang around a ballpark long enough Mm -hmm. and you have these complexes where there's like eight or ten fields or you're in a major league game and you're maybe distracted. A well-struck baseball is one of the greatest sounds in the world. So – people are like, oh, how can you tell that from hearing? I'm like, you know what, in sports, sometimes you actually can tell the difference between a good and a bad player just by the sounds that it makes. I always kind of like that detail.
1: Yeah, no, that again, it is a, it's a, this is a sports movie deep down and it will become much more of a sports movie towards the end. But yeah, like you said, the little details are there that you can hear the difference. And, that, and you've played baseball, obviously. It's even hitting the ball. Like if you hit a ball perfectly, you don't even feel it. It's as if you never even touched the ball. Yeah,
0: I remember the one time that happened in my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yes yeah so anyway roy munson goes over to ishmael and says wow you uh you're an amazing bowler like what's your average and ishmael's like oh i don't know 265 270 and for people who don't know a perfect game in bowling is 300 so if you're bowling a 265 or 270 average that would rank you one of the top bowlers in the world if you're almost perfect every single time so roy's ears perk up he's like oh my god you bowl that high and the the guy's like yeah um see you later, I got to go home. And so Roy is very intrigued by this bowling guy who bowls a near-perfect game every time. And so he finds out this guy's Amish, and Roy tracks him down. He's like, how would you like me to manage you? I'm a a bowling manager with my expertise. I could train you, and we could make all this money. And basically, this is all Roy has going for him at this point in his life, that all he has to do is, all he can offer is his expertise. So he offers uh, Ishmael a uh, position as his men, as a trainee, and Ishmael says, "No, I can't do it." And Roy, in in typical Roy Munson Winter fashion, says, "You suck, you loser, you fucking Amish, don't deserve a car." <laughs> so it doesn't end well.
0: And I love even from the beginning how they basically set, you know, Ishmael up as just a big man child. Yeah. Like he basically is like a kid. So the bike that he's riding back is obviously it's a bike has one of those great big baskets on the front that you have when you're eight. <laughs> yeah. And then when Roy tells him that he sucks, you can hear him ring the little bell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, ring, ring, ring. Yes. Ring, he's going back off. Okay. And now a little bit of trivia here. You may know the answer to this, but I bet not everybody does. Who was that role Ishmael Borg written for? Who was the first choice to play Amish bowling prodigy man child? Uh, I'm glad you
0: brought that up. Cause the, I read it was actually Chris Farley.
1: Yes. And he would have been perfect. That is the perfect role that Chris Farley could have played this little man child, idiot man child. And it will always haunt me that this movie that we did not get Chris Farley in this movie, because I think he was uh, committed to black sheep or something at the time. He couldn't do this one. But I do think this is the movie that would forever have cemented him as comedy legend.
0: That's interesting. I am. Um, since I read that, I've been thinking about this more and more and, I think the thing I love about Randy Quaid in this movie is that he plays someone who's older but still has the sensibilities of a kid. Mm-hmm. I worry that if Farley would have played it, he would have played it like an old man acting like a kid. And I know that seems very different, you know, just almost like a, like a stupid adult or something instead of someone who wasn't really seasoned in the world. I think it would have been really, really interesting. I, I think it – it would have been a lot different, I think, and maybe just my recency bias, and I've seen this movie 20 times with Randy Quaid in there. I just, I don't know, I can't I can't project Harley, and I've just seen Randy Quaid in there too much.
1: Yeah, see, to me, I've always thought that Randy Quaid's probably the weakest part of this movie, and maybe that's not that such a bad thing, because everyone else is so good in it, but I do remember, um, you know Bill Simmons, right? Oh, yeah. I remember when this movie came out, and Bill Simmons was a big fan of it, and he said, you know... What I love Kingpin, and he specifically pointed out Randy Quaid, he's like, Randy Quaid was funny. Like, he's good in that role, but like Amish bowling prodigy, you should knock that role out of the park. Like, that should be the funniest thing ever, and he's not the funniest guy in this movie. It's really, you know, Woody and Bill Bill Murray carrying it. Bill Simmons said, what I would have loved to see was see Will Farrell in his prime playing, playing Ishmael. He goes, that would have made this the funniest movie ever because just because that was back in Will Ferrell's prime when he could play anything. And he was like the funniest guy on SNL at the time. So that's the one thing I always think of when I when I watch this movie. I'm reminded that Bill Simmons pointed out that Randy Quaid's good, but that should be a legendary comic character right there. Yeah,
0: I think the way he plays it and the decisions he makes are good. I think the thing that hurts him is I'm not sure if they ever say how old he's supposed to be. (laughs) Like they they refer to him as ish. And um, the Vanessa Angel character calls him a kid all the time. But in real life, he's 11 years older than Woody Harrelson and 16 years older than um, the woman who plays Claudia. And then even later, when they're when he leaves them for a while and they go into a strip joint um, to find him, which we might talk about later. It's the greatest name of a fictional strip joint ever. (laughs) You know, Woody Harrelson's character says, yeah, we're looking for an Amish guy early forties and i never knew if like <laughs> he just blew that line or if ishmael was really supposed to be 40
1: well remember that amish people age again half as much as we do is the english <laughs> yeah no i've always wondered that too because they keep calling him boy like he's 16 but randy quaid for people who know him he was on saturday night live as the old guy 10 years before this movie
0: <laughs> yeah and then i actually looked this up before i got on here uh Randy Quaid and Bill Murray were born 10 days apart in 1950. Hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, he's he's an old dude and he was old when this came out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but just one of the what ifs. What if Chris Farley had played this role? What if they had gotten someone like Will Ferrell? Yeah, Randy Quaid. I mean, he does fine in this movie, but I've always thought they could have picked someone maybe a little stronger. But again, we got a lot to get through. Let's move on here. Right. Okay, so so Woody, uh, Roy Munson's attempt to manage Ishmael has failed, and he goes back to his loser life in his loser apartment, and we're about to get the scene, the one that made me laugh so hard when I saw it the first time in the theater. All right, so I'll build you up to it here. So Woody goes back to, uh, to his apartment, and his landlady's there, and Woody can't pay his rent. He's got this gross, old, greasy, chain-smoking landlady, looks like she's never taken a shower, And she's always on his case to pay the rent, and he can't pay it because he's a loser and he's poor. And so he's developed this scam where he's got a friend that will come and try to rob the landlady, and Woody throws coffee in this guy's face, and the guy runs off, and the landlady is all... Happy, She's like, oh, you saved me. You're such a hero, Roy. Oh, I can't believe you. And Roy's like, oh, don't worry about it. And she's like, and that rent. Oh, just uh, whenever you can pay it, that's good. So this is the scam that he's worked out. And so it's apparently been working up until now. And then we get a scene here where the landlady comes back into Munson's apartment and she sees him with the the robber that theoretically he just scared off to run down the street turns out the Woody and the robber were in cahoots and she catches them and she's furious and then the landlady has a little temper tantrum and then uh, (laughs) this is the scene again I almost can't get through this without laughing where she says you're out of here I'm gonna call the police this is um, you're done Munson and he's like You know, is there anything I can do? Please, I have to stay here. Is there anything, anything that I can do to pay the rent, to make up for the rent and stay here? And she gets this little look on her face. And immediately, Dennis, what do we cut to?
0: Um, We cut to the Simon and Garfunkel song, um, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. And the scene pulls out, and you see her lying in bed with a cigarette in her mouth. (laughs) She pulled up to her shoulders, and Roy just vomiting very again i don't know how they did it but very chunky great looking fake vomit into the toilet yes. uh so obviously roy has had to do terrible terrible things to pay the
1: rent yeah and and you think he's just slept with her but no there will be other terrible things that she's gonna imply that he's been doing as well
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and that's where she uh says uh you know, what is it about great sex that makes me have to take a crap? And he, he pukes again. And then after you see him puke, they cut to the scene of um, basically it's a shot through her legs, um, very similar to The Graduate, which is interesting because the sound of silence was used in the movie The Graduate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of get the the ev- event that drives the, the second act where. You know, she says, You still owe me a, another month's rent, so you better quit this bowling thing and throws the bowling magazine at him. And on the cover, it says 500000 or no, sorry, million dollar winner take all Reno open. And um, then she proceeds to uh, do the, you know, this is where you need a visual podcast with the.
1: Yes. I believe that is the international sign of cunnilingus. <laughs> Yes, she so she basically says that not only has Roy slept with her, but he is now required to do oral sex on her as well. And being that she's probably covered with flies down there and 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 feels like Vaseline, there's this. It's not a pleasant scene, and again, it's one of the more disturbing scenes you're gonna see in a comedy. But I just have to say that cut between anything I can do, anything, and then we cut right to her laying satisfied in bed after getting banged. Is one of the greatest comedy moments of the '90s, and so Roy has had to do some horrible things here, and now the threat of doing even more of that involving Cunnilingus is now is now in play, and now he's horrified. He's like, "I got to get some money. I'm not going to live this life," and yeah, so so he sees. And I love it
0: when she. What again? One of the great subtle lines is you know as she walks in to reward him for being valiant. You know her line is, "Roy, I know how you like to drink." She's got like, this great big thing of booze, but it's like of <laughs> all the the characteristics of Roy Munson that you can do, it's like, you know, hey, I, I know you like to drink, so here's a gift. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes again just one of the great moments in the 90s one of this this scene right here and so this drives the second act where Roy has to go get Ishmael he's like there's this tournament coming up in Reno I have to get this kid I got to train him so he drives out to Amish country again and this is where in the the brainchild of Roy Munson how he's going to do this he's going he's going to pass as an Amish person himself he's a brother Hezekiah Munson
0: with a terrible <laughs> with the Irish, Irish accent
1: He's got an Irish accent because that's what he thinks the Amish people sound like. <laughs> hey, top of the morning to you.
0: And it's so great because when he shows up first at the house, the, the Amish mom obviously knows he's full of shit, but she just, you know, just she can't turn anyone away probably because it's in the religion or something that lets him into the house
1: anyway. Hey, there any shingling or butter churning need doing? <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the best understated jokes in this movie, that he thinks the Amish people are Irish. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'll find your lucky charms. It's not even a good Irish
0: accent. It's so bad. And then there's the scene where he's sitting down and he says, how, um, how many kids do you have? And he says, none that I know of. And he catches himself saying it normal. So then he flips back to the Irish accent and says he was in a, a nasty cheese-grating accident when he was
1: a wee boy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> back when I was plunging and scrubbing and far and away with Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I really hope that Irish accent was passable. That's the best I can do. I My wife loves Far and Away, so I know that movie like the back of my hand. <laughs>
0: I can't do British accents. I ever try to do a British accent, and I sound like a cheap version of a poo from The Simpsons, so I don't even try.
1: <laughs> Alright, so so yeah, so Ish pulls Munson aside. He's like, Why are you here? They're gonna find out you're a fraud and Munson's like, Well, I gotta get you on this bowling tour. That's the thing. This is this is your destiny. We need this money and really he just needs it for himself, but What will happen is in the convenient plot twist, uh, the Ishmael's farm will need the money. So eventually he's going to uh, 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 convince Ishmael to come. But there is a couple of great scenes here, a couple of lines of dialogue anyway, where uh, where this is where uh, Ishmael explains how the Amish are different than the English, how everything that you English do, we do what you do, and then half again as much, just as much. I mean, over the top, just to point out that we have to work harder than you English. That's just how we survive, and this will come into play later when we find out that that ishmael's bowling average is perhaps a little inflated (laughs) (laughs) all right so here we go to another montage in the movie the amish working montage where where uh, munson is trying to pass himself off as an amish person to win over ishmael's trust and a couple great gags in this one and i will i'll spill my favorite one where (laughs) just some really filthy dirty jokes in this movie that they They don't spell out how dirty they are. You kind of have to get it to realize what they're talking about. But the one about the bull, this is the one that absolutely killed me when I saw it the first time in the theater where (laughs) Roy Munson wakes up early to do the Amish chores to kind of help out and to prove his worth. And he goes out and he decides he's going to milk the cow. So he walks up to the other Amish people and he's got a big bucket full of milk and a big mustache as if he's been drinking it. And he's like, he's like, you know, I was out there, I got up early and I was milking your cow. And he's like, she sure is a stubborn one. Just, I just keep working and working and working and nothing comes out. And then bam, all at once it all comes out. She sure is a gusher. And he's drinking the milk and the lead Amish guy's like, we don't have a cow. We have a bull.
0: (laughs) And if you listen closely, right after he says we have a bull and they go back to Munson before he says anything, there's a sound in the background. It's just perfectly inserted
1: so Munson's drinking a bucket of what probably is not milk perhaps is something else something creamier and he, and uh, I always love that Woody Harrelson sells the joke by just before the scene ends he's kind of staring there and he's like I'm gonna go brush my teeth
0: <laughs> the thing that sells it from the beginning is he's just so happy he's just bouncing up there the milk is just you know it's overflowing and bouncing around he's got the milk mustache and he's just so proud of himself
1: yeah So again, just all this montage of him doing chores and failing. And then this is where we get the scene that you had mentioned earlier, where he's talking about, it's your future Ishmael. It's round and it's got three holes and you stick your fingers in it. (laughs) And Ishmael's like, you leave Miss Rebecca out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, a, you know,
0: again, they treat Ishmael like a kid. And even in that montage, he wants to, you know, build with the men and they make him go off and play with the children. And then all of a sudden he drops that joke and it's like, OK, that's an interesting thing for a, a pseudo kid to come up with. But I guess if you're a farm kid, you've seen, you know, plenty of things that city kids haven't seen.
1: Well, the Amish marry young, I've heard. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> they eat tacos and they marry young. <laughs> OK, so, yeah, so Ishmael. So Munson is just failing at every uh, chore on the farm. At some point, he saws off the their horse's hooves. he's trying to reshoe this giant horse and he thinks that means sawing off the hoofs. So the horse gets much shorter. It's a fun little visual gag, but eventually I'm just going to fast forward here. What happens is it turns out the, uh, the Amish farm here is in, uh, in debt, $500,000 to the bank and the bank wants to foreclose. So if only we had a savior who could save us and give us $500,000, which conveniently enough is half of exactly what that Reno tournament is paying. So, Roy finally convinces Ish to go on the road to go to this Reno tournament, and from here on out, now it's a road trip movie.
0: Yeah, so you get uh which by the way, road trip movies, how's come they never use interstates? They always use like the the main like the small county highways. That always kind of cracks me up. I guess they're going to a lot of bowling alleys, but the the next scene is the first match where they're on the road trying to earn some money to get there, and they see Roy and Ish walking out and Ishmael kind of walking out like, oh, I, he loses the match. He's like, oh, that guy was just a little bit better than me. And um, Roy says, how can you lose to a club player? You're carrying a 260 average. And he's like, well, you guys only did, you know, you guys in your silly 10 frames. And that's kind of the callback to the, the joke that Mario said around uh, everything the Amish do. They do half again, like 10 frames. That's for Quakers. <laughs> so that's the payoff of that joke.
1: Yeah, so it turns out that Ishmael's perhaps not as good a bowler as Munson has, in, has thought he was. That it, He got his average over 15 frames. So he's only about a 180 bowling average, and uh-oh, now we're screwed. So Roy wants to give up. He's like, screw this, you're not going to win this tournament. So he, he ditches Ishmael on the side of the road, and he's about to leave. And this is where we get the moment of reckoning for Roy Munson, if he should train this kid and make him a great bowler, or if he should go back to his uh, apartment. And you think maybe it would be his... uh his conscience or his honor that makes him make the right choice. But no, what really makes him give Ishmael a second chance is what is it, Dennis? What is the sight that he sees in his rearview mirror before he goes back to his apartment?
0: <laughs> he sees uh, the landlady, uh, I believe, giving, uh, what you say, the International Sign of Cunninglingus? Yes. The ISC.
1: <laughs> yes, the, the ISC. Munson is about to go back to his apartment and he looks up and happens to catch a vision of his landlady doing the. <laughs> It's the the grossest thing and he's like ah and he's horrified so that is his future if he does not train ishmael he will be going back and i'm sorry to be crude here he'll be eating out his landlady for the next six months and that's not (laughs) where you want to be so he's like all right well i'll give ish another chance and this is where i think we hear munson for the first time where where uh, ishmael like yeah i was worried i'd get munsoned out here in the middle of nowhere
0: Right, which gives Roy pause. He's like, what did you say? He's like, you know, Munson to be up a creek without a paddle and kind of has that uh, realization again as a callback to the, the statement by his dad in the beginning of the movie. And uh, Roy tells him, puts on a fake facade and said, you just passed the first test. You're not uh, a quitter. And they, they go back on the road.
1: Yeah. And again, it's, I just love that, that Roy Munson is such a loser that in 17 years his name has become a verb. <laughs> That everybody apparently in this movie knows this word Munson. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! All right, so they uh, go back on the road, and within a couple days, Roy Munson has tainted this pure little Amish boy. That now Ishmael is already smoking and drinking, and then later in the movie he'll be smoking a bong. He'll get a tattoo. That he will—he will he'll be corrupted quite poorly here in the movie. But here's the big—the big uh, test big for Ishmael is they're going to go hustle somebody. This is, we we kind of harken back to earlier in the movie when Ernie said that, you know, to, if a bowler wants to make it, he has to learn to hustle on the road, where well, now Roy has become Ernie McCracken, and he tells Ishmael, you know, we got to go hustle people, and we got to earn some extra income, and Ishmael is not thrilled with this at all, but, you know, Roy says, I'll be the one gambling, I'll be the one, you know, putting up all the money, so all you have to do is win these games, please win these games, so... We have a big, long extended scene. I'm going to kind of go through fast here because I want to get to the end of this movie where uh, they go hustle, and they actually uh, win. They, uh, they go to this bowling alley, and uh, Ishmael's so terrible at playing his character, he doesn't, they don't buy that this is a hustle at all. But they end up hooking him up with some local gambler named Stanley, and Stanley ends up betting them for money, and Ishmael uh, beats him in this hustle game. And, and, uh, and this is where we meet Claudia, the other character in this movie.
0: Right, we meet Claudia. We meet Claudia's nipples, and we meet Randy Quaid's nipples, all in one yeah. scene.
1: Yeah. So that this this hustler uh, Stanley, he's got a girlfriend Claudia. She's like you know the mob girlfriend, and she's kind of smart mouth and sassy. And through this game where they're doing the hustle, the, the gangster ends up slapping her. And she's mad, and so when uh, Ishmael and uh, Roy get caught hustling, they're about to get stabbed, and and Ishmael's about to lose his hand, just like Roy lost his hand. What happens is Claudia, the girlfriend, helps them out because she'd been slapped, and she's not going to take that from her boyfriend. So she ends up escaping with Roy and Ishmael. They flee on the road from this gangster who's trying to kill them. And from here on out now, it's a three-person road trip movie.
0: Right, and the next scene is showing them in the diner where – Basically, Roy and Isher tapped out. Claudia says she has some uh, stake money, so that's why it becomes a, a threesome. And then you get the scene where you get another Fairly Brothers staple, uh, athletes in movies, and you get a cameo by Roger Clemens.
1: Yeah, that's something I'm glad you brought up because I was going to talk about that. That, Like I said at the start of this podcast, the Fairly Brothers tend to use a uh, – A template of movies, how they do movies. They'll just kind of repeat the same formula. And they always use the same type of songs, the same type of road trip movie. And like Dennis said, they always have a professional athlete in one of their movies as a cameo. And I'm not sure if people are aware of this. In Dumb and Dumber, they have uh, Cam Neely, a famous hockey player, as Seabass, the bully. Here in Kingpin, they use Roger Clemens as Skidmark, another bully. In the next one, there's something about Mary. Obviously, you have Brett Favre, the quarterback, and then I think a lot of people don't remember in the next one, uh, me, myself, and Irene, they, they trot out. Do you remember who they trot out in that one? Uh, I don't. Anna Kornikova. Oh, there you go. Tennis player slash jailbait, Anna Kornikova. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have to explain that one. She was a very good looking tennis player. And it the, was, she was one of these, uh, girls, she was always very famous when she was 17, 18, 19. So it became a running joke. If you were allowed to mention that she was good looking until she turned 18. So yeah, they threw her into a movie and me, myself and Irene. So.
0: Yeah. I've seen, uh, I've seen and read the people who comment on your Facebook post. I don't think you need to explain jailbait. <laughs> I, I think your audience is there on that one.
1: Yeah, but I have to if explain.
0: If they are going to get a Purdue basketball reference, the Indiana crab, they're going to get jailbait.
1: But I have to explain who she is. That's fair. The jailbait, they know. Yeah. I, most of my audience has been arrested at some point, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so yeah, so Roger Clemens shows up, and this is the scene where Roy and Claudia kind of team forces, and, and uh, they decide, you know, we can't do this on our own. She's fleeing from her mob boss, but she's got money. He's got this great plan, and he's got this kid who's a great bowler, so they don't like each other, and they kind of bicker with each other, but they decide they're going to work together in the end and go to this tournament, although... We should talk about here about the actress that plays Claudia.
0: Yeah, I um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know much about her. I looked up a little bit, I guess she was in Spies Like Us, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not as familiar with her as I am some of the other people in this.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think she's the most underrated part of this movie because you always think of like the big name stars, and her name is Vanessa Angel, she's not like a big name comic actress, but I actually think she holds her own pretty well in this movie for someone who doesn't do all that many comedy movies.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, she, like you said before, she's kind of got it. I mean, obviously she has to be the the eye candy a bit, but she has to be the, you know, sassy to the the mob guy and have a little bit of toughness to her. But then she also has to have a bit of sweetness to her as well and some empathy, Um, you know, and being
1: tough and empathetic at the same time is kind of a tough putt. And I, I think she does a good job. And just some of the bickering between her and Woody Harrelson is some of the funniest stuff in this movie. Them just going at each other, and again, she holds her own. Like at one point, uh, what is it? Someone asked to dance with Woody, and and Woody's like, "No, uh, I, I can't dance, little lady." And the and the, the lady in the bar is like, "Well, I didn't mean you. I wanted to dance with Ishmael." And Claudia's like, "Yeah, she said handsome, not handless." <laughs> Which I always like that line.
0: Yeah, that's a great line. And Woody's follow up is. Just because you spend most of your time in the missionary position doesn't mean you're a missionary.
1: (laughs) Yes. But again, she does add a little spice to this movie. She's kind of the streetwise character that they need. And from here on out, there's a, it's basically another montage coming where they go out and they are just going across the country, hustling people.
0: Yeah. What you get, uh, you know, most of the formula is they're hustling people and they distract the male bowlers by her dressing very scantily and, uh, there's a Marilyn Monroe kind of homage where she's letting the the ball or the hand dryer, sorry, not the ball dryer uh, kind of blow her skirt up a little bit and, and the, the big payoff joke there is she's able to distract all groups of men except for a group of farmers and they keep bowling well, so Ish is losing until Ish has the idea to bring in a sheep to distract the, the farmer bowlers and which is kind of a funny scene
1: yeah, that's one of the more base jokes of the movie here. That yeah, they, <laughs> But I do love, this is my favorite montage in the movie, them just swindling all these people for money and Claudia just always standing next to them in some short skirt bending over and distracting the other bowlers. But again, she cannot distract the farmers, the hardcore farmers, because they do not find a woman attractive. But they are distracted by a sexy sheep standing
0: there. <laughs> and there's another great joke at the end of that montage where a old woman in an electric scooter Loses and then she gets out of her coin purse and she's like, "Sorry, I don't have a lot of money." And they cut to a scene of the car with the um, the scooter bungee to the back. So obviously, they just took this poor woman's scooter as payment.
1: Yes, no scruples on the Claudia Munson Ishmael trio that they they beat an old handicapped woman in a bowling match and stole her motorized wheelchair. <laughs> Although I have to say, going back to uh, Vanessa Angel as Claudia, the scene where she cannot distract the, the farmers, only the sheep distract the farmers, when they cut to her looking all dejected, realizing she was less sexy than a sheep, I just love the look on her face when she's so pissed about that.
0: Yeah, and Roy has to give her like a little, a little hug to make her you're like, hey, fuck up, kiddo, you're still sexy <laughs> to us.
1: Okay, yeah, so all things are going well, and Roy and Claudia are doing well, and then at a certain point in the trip, Roy gets greedy. He's like, I don't like sharing the m- money with Claudia. So he and, Ro- and Ish decide to sneak out in the middle of a night at a hotel. And Claudia catches them out in the car. And there's a big fist fight, and he, kind of a comic fight between uh, Ra- Vanessa Angel and Woody Harrelson, capped by where he starts slugging her boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. But anyway, she wins the fight. So, And in the middle of their fight, they realize, hey, Ishmael fled. So Ishmael is upset that his partners are fighting. And we get this whole little subplot here where he bails on them and i don't want to waste too much time on this because i want to get to the end of the movie here but they have to reconcile and go round him up again and get to reno it's a it's like a a speed bump in the plot here for a couple of minutes
0: yeah which always kind of surprised me because the fight was no more than three minutes and they just say "Hey, Isha's gone i'm like okay why don't you just look in the immediate area it's not like he's moving fast but anyway apparently he made it
1: very far down the road <laughs> that's that's a good point randy quaid can run he runs like forrest gump there you go. All right, so here we get a scene, and right, it's I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, what I think is maybe the most important scene in the movie, because I think if this scene is not in the movie, the ending doesn't work as well as it does. And this is where Roy and Claudia kind of reconcile, and they realize they can't fight and they can't be greedy, and they're driving around looking for Ishmael, and they happen to go through Roy's old childhood town of Ocelot. And it's very sad. There's, a, If I recall, the, the music playing here is This Perfect World by, what, Freedy Johnston or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so Roy has confronted with his past. Now he's going back to where he was a childhood, you know, bowling legend and prodigy. And he sees the whole town is like all shut down. Like all his favorite haunts and childhood places are all torn down. And his dad's old gas station is shut down and his dad is dead. And, And it's just kind of this sad point and scene where he realizes what a loser he's become in life. And she kind of sees him what he once was, and Claudia and Roy talk. And it's, again, a very nice scene. And, again, this is the one, this is the, in a comedy, if you don't have this scene, then the characters aren't very humanized. And that's why this is an important scene to have, that we really start to feel for Roy Munson and all the crap that's been piled on him his entire life and what a failure he was, and he even admits, he's like, you know, I did nothing. I blew everything. I I screwed up my life. And she's like, well, your dad would be proud of you. You know, you you're training Ishmael. And Roy's like, no, I'm he wouldn't be proud of me. My dad knows I'm a I'm a hack. I'm a failure and I'm just scamming him. So it's a very sad moment where you actually kind of root for Roy. You kind of feel bad for him for, for the first time in the movie. And it will become important because he's going to become very prominent to the story in the last 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, and I think the scene you just talked on right there, basically just that one line where Woody Harrelson's like, nah, he wouldn't be proud. and kind of hangs his head and walks off. I think that, you know, it's kind of the, the 10 seconds that makes that entire scene, which sets up the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, and so they, they finally make up Roy and Claudia, and Roy's like, you know, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to be a better person, and I hope I don't get munsoned out here. <laughs> so they go and they retrieve Ishmael. He's like working in a strip club for some reason.
0: What's the name of the strip club, by the way?
1: All right, you tell me. I did not. Was it? Is it Bo Peeps? Is that it?
0: No, it's Stiffies.
1: <laughs> Stiffies. Like, what is Bo Peeps from? Why do I know that? Why did I think it was that?
0: I don't know. I was watching that last night. And I'm like, the name <laughs> of that really Stiffies, and we go on the IMDb page, and there's Richard Tyson. He plays the owner of Stiffies.
1: <laughs> yes, Richard Tyson. I should point out, we did a movie of his on Staff Picks earlier, Three O'clock High, where he plays Buddy. Uh, what is his last name? The bully. Ah, uh, whatever. But anyway, that's Richard Tyson. Yeah, he shows up here in one of his other movies. Okay, so the three of them are back together, and they make up, and they apologize to Ishmael, and they drive to Reno, and here we go, the the wonderful last 20, 25 minutes of this movie where they get to Reno, and they're gonna go enter the bowling tournament, and Ishmael's gonna be win this, and win the money for his farm, and they're all gonna... They're they're all going to have a happy ending, although now all of a sudden we get a character from back earlier in the movie who's going to show up here and just steal this movie the last 20, 25 minutes. All of a sudden, Big Earn, turns out Big Earn, Ernie McCracken, Bill Murray, is here in this Reno tournament, and he's like a big bowling legend now. He's like the king of bowling, like... All the announcers talk about what a great guy he is. He's amazing. He's like the, the Cal Ripken Jr. of bowling. Everyone loves him. He's admired. And so Roy Munson is faced with his past. That This is the man that ruined my hand in the ball return. And here we go, the conflict where they meet up at the uh, fateful meeting at the potato bar.
0: Yeah, and the, before he gets there, there's someone interviewing him, which I think is such a great Ernie line. They're like, what's the um... – you know, how can you, or who's your biggest opponent? And he's like me, if I fall down and, you know, hurt myself, I won't win. And then the (laughs) reporter goes, well, tell me a little bit about this fraternity suit. And he's like, oh, that's, that's hogwash. That's nothing. I pulled out of her way early. (laughs) And as he's saying that every woman that walks by, he's like, Hey, what's your name? I'm an 1103.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, just Bill Murray improvising. Just say, he hasn't played the villain in very many movies. Is there any other movie you can think of where he's the bad guy?
0: you know, I was thinking about this, and there's a few movies where he starts out the bad guy, like maybe Scrooge or a little bit in Groundhog Day, but then he always has kind of a redemption arc. I don't think there's any movie where he's souped and that's a bad guy.
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. I never thought about that, that he is—he plays a good villain and then turns good. But in this one, he's straight villain all the way. And he's so good. Again, one of the best villains in any sports movie ever, Ernie McCracken. Just <laughs> every line that comes out of his mouth is pure smarm, just pure asshole. And this is where we get the – he meets up with Roy Munson. They see each other for the first time in 17 years. And uh, <laughs> they're just staring at each other. And, and this is the great line where uh, where Roy's like – I blame you, you, you made me hustle. You made me lose my hand. And, and, uh, uh McCracken's like, I don't remember any, I don't remember anybody twisting your arm. And he's like, Oh my God, I just said twisting your arm to Munson. Wait do I tell everybody?
0: <laughs> the thing that cracks me up about that character is like you said before, he's such an ass, but the media and everybody love him. And I think it's a good kind of study on how you can have bad behavior, but if you're a good athlete, everybody, kind of looks the other way, and what we know now is one of the best case studies for that is Brett Favre, which actually wound up in another Fairly Brothers movie, so it's like an interesting little full circle there. As you say, they run into each other, and he kind of eggs on uh, Roy, and the Ishmael winds up taking a swing at him to defend his buddy and punches a wall with his bowling hand and winds up breaking his hand, which then kind of drives the next part of the movie.
1: Yeah, so Ishmael breaks his hand and he's no longer going to be able to bowl and again he's the meal ticket. He's the one that Roy has been training. So it looks like they're all screwed that their their money maker has broken his hand, he's not going to be able to bowl. And there's a subplot here I think where Claudia turns out she knew McCracken for many years ago.
0: You know what? It's like it's very odd cuz he says, "Hey, we had some good times. I remember Chicago." And then kind of goes off and Roy kind of gives her a disgusted look, but they never really talk about that ever again. It's just like, hey, they used to know each other.
1: Well, there is the one line, the Bill Murray. This has to be an improvised line where he says, "You know, it's a small world when you've got unbelievable tits, Roy."
0: <laughs> What's it been, Roy? One year for every topping
1: on the bar. <laughs> yes, it is funny how much play this twenty-two topping potato bar gets in the movie.
0: And then maybe you can explain this, or, or maybe if you don't want to dive in this. We don't have to. But uh, off the, to the side of this, we get a nice little Chris Elliott appearance and. And you're a comedy guy, and I just always kind of noticed that comedy guys and even comedians just seem to love Chris Elliott.
1: Yeah, okay, I'll give a quick backstory. Chris Elliott is in this movie. He has a very distinct, memorable scene where he offers to sleep with Randy Quaid for $1 million, which is a parody of a movie that had come out right before this called Indecent Proposal, I believe. Was that the name of it?
0: It was, starring Woody Harrelson.
1: Oh, starring, okay, so yeah, so it's a take on that movie, but... Chris Elliott is one of those guys that comedians all seem to love and it's because he's he's from Late Night with David Letterman. Did you know that?
0: I did. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was one of the top writers on Late Night with David Letterman back in the 80s, back in Letterman's peak years and he came up with a lot of the more bizarre conceptual stuff. So He's kind of a comedian's comedian. Like my wife cannot stand Chris Elliott. My kids have watched Get a Life, his TV show, and they will not watch one more minute of it. They think it's the worst thing ever. But he—he's very hit or miss, but very conceptual, kind of like Will Forte or Kyle Mooney, stuff like that. So that's—he's—it's odd to see him here as as this a perverted uh, uh, businessman. But yeah, he just shows up here for a second and then he's gone. Although I just noticed today he gets sixth billing in the movie, so good for him.
0: Yeah, and he's much more prominent. Than There's something about Mary, but <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Woogie. <laughs> okay, so Ishmael is unavailable for the bowling tournament, and it looks like all is lost, but Ishmael comes up with a solution. He's like, well, you know, I can't bowl, but there's someone else in this room who can. And Munson's like, are you crazy? I can't bowl. Like, I have a rubber hand. I haven't bowled in 17 years. And is like, well, you were a champion once. You can do it again. I guess if you you get through the first couple rounds, I bet you can get your uh, rhythm back. So this is how it's going to go, that Roy Munson himself, the man-child, is going to come back here and make his triumphant return to a bowling tournament against Bigger and McCracken in the Reno $1 million Invitational. And that will be the last 15 minutes of this movie, the big tournament.
0: And again, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, which I, I put in the comments when you're talking about before, is that he goes to sign up and there's a, a entry desk. And apparently anyone could just sign up for the Reno Open. Um, so he says his name, Roy Munson, and the ladies laugh because, you know, again, Munson's been turned into a verb. They don't actually think it's <laughs> the Roy Munson. They said, are you an amateur or a professional? He says, professional. And they pull out this card and they're like, oh, you know, your dues are in arrears. And they do like this, you know, 10-second, all this calculations, blah, blah, blah. And apparently 17 years of fees plus interest and penalties winds up being like $35 <laughs> yeah. or $38. Um, and when one thing we kind of glossed over was before we get to the tournament, uh, Claudia disappears with all the money that they built during the road trip. So they don't have $38. But then Roy remembers he still has this ring on. So he puts the ring in front of the... The face of the people doing registration says, well, you know, maybe you can hold on to this. And the woman says, what am I going to do with a rubber hand? <laughs> yeah.
1: Again, just the running joke in the movie. Every time he's showing the ring, they notice the hand.
0: <laughs> and he's like, no, the ring. And they go, OK, um, we'll, we'll put you in the tournament. They never explain, though. It's a winner take all and he loses.
1: Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Oh, so maybe he doesn't get the ring back. She keeps it.
0: Yeah, but I think he
1: does have it back. Mm. so you found a you plan a, a plot hole
0: yeah so anyway maybe they decided to give it back to him to be nice who knows but anyway so he gets himself entered into the tournament and uh and away we go
1: <laughs> yeah just the one line in there that always makes me laugh they're like name he's like munson roy e and they just giggle they're like no seriously <laughs> <laughs> no that's my name i'm roy munson so he gets in the tournament he enters and uh and there's a great scene of his first day in the tournament as a first day back on the pro tour in 17 years where we have a flashback to him walking into Disco Inferno, yeah. just like the start of the movie. And he reaches and grabs a guy's piece of pizza. And the guy's like, fuck you, and like shoves him. So, just a nice little callback reference there.
0: Yeah. And that's funny. I mean, the whole tournament is legitimately um... – Montage, cutscene, montage, cutscene, montage. I didn't realize that until I rewatched it, but it starts off with a a fun little sight gag where all the bowlers have one initial ball to start it off, and and as he bowls, his hand comes off. And as he's waiting for the ball return, he looks at the other bowler and says, you wouldn't happen to have a Phillips head screwdriver with you. (laughs) And the the cat just kind of looks at him like, no. No. And then the ball comes out and it has the hand still stuck to it, and he goes, "Uh, that's mine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so like you said, here we go. The montage, this, this is, I think, three of them in a row here. The first one is set to She Came On, and it's just the first round of the tournament, and it's just amazing shots of just all these bowlers bowling, and it's very exciting, and you see uh, Woody Harrelson bowling and Bill Murray bowling, and apparently, I think I read this in the trivia, that Woody Harrelson was a terrible bowler in real life. Yeah. I, they said, like, after all these months of practicing and filming, he never got any better, and it was astounding.
0: Yeah, my personal opinion on that is he probably just doesn't eat enough meat to be a good bowler.
1: <laughs> but he's a good basketball player. If you, if you know the backstory on White Man Can't Jump, he was, like, fantastic in that movie. He just can't bowl. <laughs> and, and then Bill Murray apparently is a fantastic bowler. Like, we'll, I'll talk about this when we get to the end. But he was like, he could have made it maybe as a pro bowler. He's really good in real life.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was good at baseball and a good golfer, too, right?
1: Yeah. I've kind of
0: noticed that good golfers are good bowlers. They're just must be something about muscle memory.
1: Okay, yeah. So we get this uh, this tournament. I think I don't know, sixty four people bowling, and they're all you know. You just see shot after shot of people doing getting strikes and stuff, and the field's getting narrowed down. And there's this wonderful shot, one of my favorite little visual shots of this movie of Big Earn kind of sitting in the foreground. He's kind of lounging, and you see behind him Roy Munson just glaring at him like yeah. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you, McCracken. And I should we should I should point out uh, McCracken's ball, Big Earn's ball. One of my favorite little sight gags in this movie, he's got – it's like a, a, a see-through ball with a rose in the middle. <laughs> and he calls it sweetness at one point.
0: <laughs> Come on, sweetness. One more time. Yeah. Um, and then the first kind of cut scene in between the montages is the great where, hey, we've got the Cinderella story I know where Roy Munson, what have you been doing for 17 years? And he's like, uh, well, there was the 80s and um, – uh, well. Mainly
1: drinking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are you still drinking now? Like, no. Um, are, are you buying? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so we get montage after montage of this bowling tournament and we get down to the final match which you know predictably is big urn against roy munson and they say it even say that munson is like the cinderella story of this tournament he came out of nowhere like this guy was an amateur big amateur talent in 1979 and now we're in 96 and he shows up in his first tournament they're like who is this guy and he's like apparently the big crowd favorite and he's got a nickname they call him the rubber man because of his got the rubber hand so we get this, this big build-up to the championship match of this big underdog story, Roy Munson, against the greatest gladiator legend of all time, Bigger and Ernie McCracken. And the announcers here are just going so over the top. I'm trying to remember. What do they say? I have not written down here. They said, this guy, such a nice guy, Ernie McCracken, he's going to win a lot of political office one day. And at one point... In the championship match, they have this woman runs out and kisses Roy Munson. And that's, uh people may not know this now, that's Morgana, the kissing bandit. She was right. famous in the 80s. She would run onto baseball fields and kiss people and get arrested. And she was this huge, big-breasted woman. It was kind of a thing. So they give her a cameo in this movie. She runs out and kisses uh, Munson. And then Big Earn, of course, takes her hand gallantly and kisses it like a knight. And the announcer's like, how gallant is that? Oh, this man is going to be such a great politician one day. And as they're saying that, he cops a feel you can see as he's shoving her (laughs) side. How gallant.
0: Uh, Yeah, it just gets back to the whole bigger and had everyone snowed over. We didn't even talk about the United fund.
1: Yeah, there is the commercial right at the start of the tournament for the uh, United Fund, which talks about what a great role model Ernie McCracken is, and what a great humanitarian he is, how he sponsors a child, a different child in every town that the bullying tur- tournament goes to. And if you watch the commercial, it's really just him hitting on their hot moms in every scene. So, like, every town he's got some hot mom he's banging, and he passes off as he's sponsoring their kid.
0: The kid's like, sometimes Mr. McCracken's there in the morning before I wake up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I love at the end where, you know, he's got all the moms and you know he's basically got one hand, you know, basically down this woman's skirt. And he's like, you know, I don't want to see these kids get munsoned out there without a father. <laughs>
1: yeah so this the this tension between big Earn and 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 the rubber man Roy Munson is just palpable at this point and so we get to the final match and it's just fantastic this whole like every shot in this last tournament I love even my wife was watching it today, and she doesn't even really like this movie, but she'll watch this last tournament because she thinks it's so funny where they play uh showdown by elO is the music that they play mm-hmm. and it's yeah just uh big Earn and uh, and Roy Munson matching each other strike for strike. And we get to the end of the game, where It's like uh Munson's up by like nine nine pins or something. And then he gets a split, like earlier in the movie, the split, the uh seven ten split, and he somehow picks it up. It's like this big moment. They again it's kinda cliched. Any bowling movie will have a seven ten split at some point. Munson picks it up and basically Roy Munson is winning this tournament, and he's ahead by 29 pins going into the last, the last frame, where basically for Ernie McCracken to win this tournament, he gets three balls left, and he has to get a strike on every one of them, and he'll win by one pin. And uh, this is one of the great all-time real-life movie moments here, where Bill Murray is going to do something pretty extraordinary.
0: Yeah, so he needs the, the turkey. And from everything that I've read, the directors thought that, hey, it's probably going to take him, you know, eight to 10 balls to bowl three strikes. But they were very clear with the crowd. Hey, after the first one, you know, cheer. After the second one, cheer louder. And after the third one, sort of erupt. And it turns out that Bill Murray just walked up and bowled three strikes on the first three balls. And so the crowd reaction you see in there is just a legitimate, holy shit, this guy really just did that. Yeah. And that's why it was so loud and enthusiastic.
1: Yeah. Anytime you watch this scene, watch those last three strikes because Bill Murray legitimately did that on his first three tries. And when you see the crowd go insane, they literally just did that. That's their natural reaction to the legend of Bill Murray, not only improvising every bit of dialogue in this movie, stealing every scene, but Pulling off, pulling off three strikes in a row when he needed to, and it's just amazing.
0: And then you get the great, after he bowls the third strike, he starts laying down on the lane and just spinning in circles. And then he gets up and he shakes Roy's hand and pulls out his rubber hand and throws it into the crowd. <laughs> when you hear the announcer say, ooh, some lucky fan is going
1: to get a souvenir. <laughs> yeah, And that's the one thing that I love about the ending, that not only does the hero of this movie Munson fail, he loses at the end. You think he's going to win but Roy Munson, but Big Urn steals his thunder yet again. Then Roy is humiliated when his rubber hand is thrown into the crowd as a souvenir.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And of course the announcers don't feel bad for Roy. They think it's a great act by Urn.
1: (laughs) What a great politician.
0: You get this scene of where all the people are around uh, Big Earn, and, you know, Bill Murray's just ad-libbing. He's saying things like, I can finally buy my way out of anything. Big Earn's above the law. And they, uh, someone said, did you feel any pressure? And he goes, yeah, there was pressure. I didn't want to lose to a guy that had a hook for a hand.
1: <laughs> Although we did neglect to mention all throughout the final tournament, Bill Murray, Murray's comb-over.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah that's,
1: like I said, that's why my wife watches the last scene. All throughout this final tournament, Bill Murray's got the king of all comb-overs, where <laughs> at, the, at the start of the match, it's kind of combed over like a bald guy would just drape his hair over his head. But as the tournament goes on and on, it's like flung off to the side like a hand almost. <laughs> just this crazy hairpiece as Bill Murray's going through this tournament.
0: And after he bowls his second strike, he gives like this weird, like... I think he's trying to be Hulk Hogan, flexing his muscles, but he's, like, really, like, older and stiff. And so it's, like,
1: this weird, like,
0: ah, flex going on <laughs> yeah. in between as the hair's spiking up.
1: So basically like Hulk Hogan now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hogan's above the law, too. He got all that doctor money. Okay, so the end of the movie, Munson has failed, and Big Earn wins again, and Big Earn is carried off with his million-dollar prize, and Bill Murray saves the day. He's going to go win a lot of political office now. How gallant. And so... Uh, There actually is a happy ending to this movie. You kind of forget about this part where where it turns out that Roy Munson, even though he lost the tournament, he gained some valuable insight about what it's like to be a mature adult. And he's somehow rewarded by the fact that Trojan condoms wants to make him their their spokesman because he's known as the rubber man. So he gets like a $500,000 uh check and he goes and saves ishmael's farm he goes and pays them off and he and claudia make up and it turns out that claudia stole all the money from the gangster the gangster had bet for big earn to win the tournament so she doubled their money and they make up and they go out to the farm to tell ishmael that they're going to save his farm and pay it off and we get a great ending here where uh where they're at the farm and in the, the the Ishmael's parents are like, Yes, Ishmael, they told us all about all the boozing you did out there and the whoring and the running around and Ishmael's hanging his head and the dad's like and then Brother Munson told us how, how you stopped him from doing that, how you changed his life, how you read scripture and how you <laughs> talked him into changing your life and turning his life around. And she was like, really? We did that? Okay. And then, and the great line here is where the dad's like, you got Roy to stop being such a bad influence, and you stopped Claudia from being such a whore like she is.
0: <laughs> you got Miss Claudia to quit being such the whore. <laughs> it just cracks me up. And then you get the, uh, the famous, you know, end scene where Roy and Claudia are... Well, first they're getting ready to get into the car and Roy has this tries to have this sweet moment with Ish where he's like, Hey, you know, all that, you know, fake stuff. You thought you were, you know, really talking about you, You you're really talking about me, and he's trying to have something land kind of deep, and Ish kinda looks at him, he's like, Uh, I lost you. I I don't really know what you're talking about here. (laughs) So he gets in the car and uh Roy and Claudia take off and you (laughs) get a whole group of Amish people on the hill say, Bye, Roy by whore.
1: <laughs> yes. Bye, Brother Munson, by whore. <laughs> Those are the last two lines of the movie as they, Roy and Claudio drive off in the sunset, and they're apparently a couple now and friends, and that is the end of the movie, the heartwarming kingpin. I believe Dennis and I would both argue the Farrelly Brothers masterpiece that never got the attention that it deserved at the time, but it's so heartening to see how many people love it now.
0: Very much so. I Like I say, when I went through this, I was amazed at how many of these lines I still quote today and, and how much I, I really remember I happened to watch it again. Just a it, great, great movie.
1: Yeah, just everybody firing at the top of their game. Fairly Brothers absolutely just throwing out these scenes and these lines that were all great. You had Bill Murray. Again, I'd argue the greatest Bill Murray performance, and that's something when he's maybe the greatest comic actor ever. You got Woody Harrelson, one of the most underrated comic actors ever. You have these great characters, You got Lynn Shay as the gross landlady. You got this fantastic soundtrack. Just everything about this movie worked so well for what it's trying to do. And again, it's just a shame that the Farrelly brothers to this day, I think, still are kind of embarrassed about it, saying that it was a flop. And I think it's bad that they shouldn't be embarrassed because this is, I mean, I would be so proud if I had a movie like this on my resume.
0: Oh, without a doubt. And even beyond everything you just said, just well written in terms of the the story arcs, even the, you know, still very joke dense. A lot of the jokes connect from the, you know, beginning of the movie back to the end of the movie. And yeah, that's all I got to say about that, I guess.
1: Excellent. So. Let's see. Is there anything else you want to say? We're about at the hour and a half mark, and I gotta trim this down pretty good now. But is there anything else you want to say about the travails of of Roy Munson, the uh, Irish Amish guy, or Ernie McCracken, or Claudia? Anything else you need to add before we sign off here?
0: I think that's about. Oh, I mean, like I say, I could probably go through and you know do a laundry list of the uh, some of the other running gags, but we would be here for another about two and a half hours. <laughs> Even though the one thing that i really like is the scene where he's flossing it's not necessarily because he's flossing it's because he asks you know what are you doing and he's like flossing and he's like i always thought your name was munson and that's kind of another running gag that shows up every once in a while so i thought that was uh pretty funny as well
1: yeah again we we skipped over probably about 20 great gags and jokes in this movie just in the interest of time so um Again, I just want to uh, thank you for coming by, Dennis. That was a, a lot of fun. Again, my, my throat's sore from laughing so much at this one, so <laughs> that's always a good sign, If I think, if we have fun, that hopefully people will have fun listening to this. And this is one of those movies I just really hope more people out there appreciate. Again, Caddyshack always gets reference to this great seminal comedy of the uh, early 80s and then, like, Stripes and Ghostbusters. And once you get to the 90s, you have there's something about Mary and all the big ones. But I think Kingpin should be right on that list. This is, I think, one of the greatest comedies of all time and i will i will hear no opinions other than that
0: <laughs> very cool appreciate you having me on that was fun
1: and again my name is mario lanza and this is staff picks uh if you want to reach me if you have any feedback if you have any movies you think i should talk about you can reach me at staff podcast at gmail.com or you can reach me on twitter at mario j lanza and until the next time I talk to you guys, I will be out there looking for more underrated, underloved, or underappreciated movies that just need a little more attention. And until next time, bye, brother Goodman. Bye, whore.
0: Hi. What's your name?
1: Munson. Roy E. <laughs>
0: Seriously.